pretty fishy what happened to me on that ladder. And where there's fishy business, there's a penguin. But wait, it happened at sea. Sea for Catwoman. And the shark was pulling my leg. A sick joke. The Joker. It all adds up to a sinister riddle. Riddle. Er. The Riddler. <gasps> Great Scott. <laughs> <laughs> that was a dramatic reading from the hit movie Batman 1966. Or at least as dramatic as the 60s gets. <laughs> On episode two of Comic Movie Master List from Hit the Books Podcast. Stay tuned. Hello and welcome to episode two of Comic Movie Master List from Hit the Books Podcast. This is the Batman, circa 1966, Adam West and gang. It sure is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> so uh, we've been advertising this for a little while. Uh, if you haven't watched the first episode of Comic Movie Master List, it was Superman and the Mole Men, circa 1951. Yeah, it was. Oh, my God. So we had to jump forward 15 years to get our next feature-length comic book movie film. And very much like the last one, it was based on a television show, whereas Superman was the premiere for a upcoming television show. Batman had been in production by Fox, which is an interesting bit of trivia and tidbits I'll get to later. Um, it had been produced for one season, and they decided to make a feature-length film featuring the cast uh, in between season one and two to kind of get more hype for the show. It was very popular for <laughs> what it was. Um a lot of satire, a lot of goofy over-the-top stuff. It was not meant to be taken seriously whatsoever. <laughs> so yeah, there's even like a introductory like text read that they put on like brick to tell people, "Hey, this is all pure fantasy, and you know we are we're just trying to include everyone in this. Just come and watch this. We 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 like this, and we think you will too." <laughs> Yeah, so it was very over-the-top, very ridiculous, <laughs> very <laughs> nonsensical, almost Monty Python-like humor uh, throughout the movie. Very silly. <laughs> just, but also with some weird adult undertones sometimes. <laughs> so you were, know... We're also kind of weird. <laughs> it seems the adult undertones are nearly inescapable. It's... Yes. <laughs> the answer to that question is yes. Um, Every time. So, whereas Superman and the Moleman was campy for sure, uh, but it seemed to be a little bit more grounded in reality and was meant to be taken a little bit more seriously. Uh, during our review, I kind of talked about it as being a mediocre episode of Twilight Zone. Mediocre! <laughs> and we're all about mediocre here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, this movie is not meant to be taken seriously whatsoever. It's just 
so over the top, so ridiculous. If you go out, just YouTube the trailer for it. That alone will give you plenty to laugh about for probably an hour. <laughs> just because it's so silly and ridiculous. Um, so, yeah, we'll, we'll get into all this stuff. But first, let's give you a little bit of an introduction. Of course, I'm Chris Holcomb, and this is... Yeah, I'm Burt Ward. Or Emery Saunders. <clears throat> yeah, Emery Saunders is gone for the day. <laughs> <laughs> Which is unfortunate, because we're going to record another episode of the regular podcast <laughs> after this. Oh, I'm sure he'll show up soon. Our 50th episode, by the way. Be sure to check that out as well. It's number 50. We are your weekly comic book podcast, and this happens to be our comic movie masterless series, where we're going through all of the feature-length films that meet our criteria and reviewing them for your pleasure and creating a overarching master list of all the movies, starting from the earliest, which for our standards is Superman and the Mole Men, 1951, and going forward. Um, the next one is going to be Tales from the Crypt from, Ooh. I believe, 1972. So, yeah, 1972, and then the one after that will be another horror one based on the same comic called Vault of Horror from 1973. So... Uh, we had two kind of campy superhero films for the first two, and then we're jumping right into some kind of scare stuff, which is from the UK. Very interesting. Mm. So we always try to post the links for free feeds to watch these movies if we can. Obviously, if they're not available, we will su suggest some outlets that you can go to to support them. And of course, if you want to just spend the money and support them, by all means, please do. Um, there's no reason why you shouldn't. Uh, but these are very old movies, so it's obviously hard to come by them for a lot of people and if you know you're pinching pennies especially during the corona crisis right now which we're trying to give you a little distraction from you know uh, maybe you need the free feed and that's perfectly fine for these movies especially because they're very old <laughs> they probably should be public domain at this point so let's jump into batman 1966 once again like i said it's based on the television show starring adam west and burt ward uh as batman and robin the dynamic duo. And uh, I can't do this with the mask on the whole time. <laughs> my face is getting so sweaty. Uh, my, my, my mask is a little easier to handle. <laughs> and the sheet is an actual queen-size bed sheet, whereas yours is... Oh, a, God, yeah. You're, you're you got like, an actual cape, <laughs> like a pro. Yeah, your thing, you, you're like trapping Ugh, heat. I am Good sweating. God. Ugh. God. And it's it satin stuff, too, so it's super hot. <laughs> oh, my God. How Ugh. did they do it? I don't know. <laughs> Maybe that's why Adam West would not do the film unless he was Bruce Wayne most of the time. <laughs> Uh, Could you please let me be uh, Bruce Wayne? Th that Batman costume, it gets so itchy. <laughs> so, of course, you know, we, we got to start. Rest in peace, Adam West. Rest in peace, An Adam icon, West. both of Batman fame and Family Guy fame. You know, fun fact, Burt Ward actually showed up on a CWWB uh, crossover episode uh, just a few months ago. Uh, with the uh, crisis on Infinite Earths. Which is awesome, because he never got enough respect. Never. He, like, even though the man got to fight Bruce Lee on screen, he never got enough respect. Sure didn't. <laughs> Poor guy was always Robin. <laughs> <laughs> always. It, okay. <clears throat> All respect aside, playing Robin is a really hard thing to live down. <laughs> To be fair, it, that's it, true. It, especially, <laughs> like, I mean, there are a, a lot of iterations of Robin there. It's hard to live down being Burt Ward Robin. 
Yeah. <laughs> so it's campy, over the top fairy shoes, Robin. It's very hard to play off. Yeah. Um, it <laughs> booty shorts. Yeah. But speaking of booty, <laughs> it was delightful. <laughs> so that was quite the segue. <laughs> This movie came out in 1966, as we suggested, after the first season of Batman 1966, um, starring, of course, Adam West, Burt Ward, directed by Leslie H. Martinson, and written by Lorenzo Semple Jr., and based, obviously, on Bob Kane, so he did get the credit on there. Um, Unfortunately, Bill Finger did not get the credit, but, uh, you know, he's mostly the artist, so maybe you can let that go. But, again, this was in a controversial time for Bill Finger and his family, and they're trying to get rights and everything. It's a long-standing issue. Yeah. So, famous, famous issue. Um, There's a lot of good documentaries and stuff about it. I highly recommend you go check those out, if you have the time. Um, This... This movie is very strange for many reasons beyond <laughs> just the plot and the dialogue and the characters themselves. This movie has a lot of weird things going on behind the scenes. So Adam West actually did not want to do the movie and would not do the film until the studio threatened to replace him in season two with somebody else. And then he gave in, but only on the condition that he got to play a significant part as Bruce Wayne and not as Batman. Now, I don't I don't know if there's any record of why that is, but I would assume he probably just wanted FaceTime That's so he could be recognized yeah. outside of the mask. Yeah, that that is a very common theme when it comes to playing any kind of masked hero. For some reason these actors want to showcase their face completely uncovered as much as possible which is unfortunate because the coolest version of batman is the one with the white eyes yeah nobody wants to see your (laughs) eyes dude (laughs) which is why i wish they would find some nobody to play batman instead of somebody who's established because you don't need somebody to draw people to a batman film just make it a new actor you know like they did with star wars and everything else like yeah you can find someone cheap that's the thing with the batman movies i find it surprising that they haven't clued in on the fact that you could get someone like good at acting and also inexpensive and it would still sell like gangbusters because it's batman absolutely yeah and like (laughs) if even the villains if you got a masked villain you really don't need them to be well established actors you can save so much money (laughs) oh yeah just by getting some you know hard-working new good actors there's Tons of good actors and actresses. You don't have to go to the blue chip stock. <laughs> and let's face it, they're not always blue chip stocks. Right. Uh, unfortunately. Um, but I would assume that was probably what was going on. He just wanted to be shown more so he could get more acting roles outside of the silly, <laughs> campy show. Um, yeah. Another interesting kind of uh, tidbit, a little fun fact, if you will, is that we don't have the original Catwoman in this movie either. And Catwoman in this movie is Lee Merriweather, who is the second Catwoman out of three <laughs> for this show. The we origi- were having some casting issues, apparently, with this Absolutely. movie. Absolutely. <laughs> and the original Catwoman was Julie Newmar, uh, who starred in the first season <laughs> and, and uh, the second season. And then in the third season, well after this movie, she was replaced with Eartha Kitt, who was controversially black (laughs) when Catwoman had previously been white in two seasons and a movie (laughs) in the show. So 
it's a very strange dynamic that we had here, jumping yeah. from character. <laughs> Julie Newmar and Lee Merriweather, the transition between those two is kind of not quite as controversial just because they look so much alike already. Yeah. Especially at that age, they seem to be very similar, and it's really hard to tell the difference between the two. Um, Which would be the point of recasting, is to make it seem similar but not distract the audience enough. Yeah. So another character that was also kind of weird in this movie was the Riddler, who was played by the original Frank Gorshin. Um, but Frank did not want to be in this film either. And <laughs> they didn't know if he was going to be in the film until the last second. <laughs> and a big reason why the they didn't make a sequel to this movie is because the controversial black Catwoman yeah. replacing the previous two in addition to season two featuring a totally different Joker who <laughs> happened to be John Aston, who's famous for being the father on the Adams family, Mr. <laughs> Mr. Adams. <laughs> a completely different Riddler. A completely different Riddler, yeah. What did I say? Joker. Joker. Excuse me. Sorry. <laughs> uh, so it's very convoluted backstory between the casting for this movie. And very <laughs> almost as ridiculous as the movie itself, you know, just yeah. jumping from different characters and different weird just changes that are very dramatic, you know, <laughs> uh, and very noticeable. But again, it's so campy and over the top and ridiculous. Who cares? You know, right. Um, like at the end of the day, we're just trying to watch Batman ridiculously punch people. And <laughs> also Robin ridiculously punch people. But also, did we really question why this, uh, Orphan circus teen was running around with this uh, billionaire gentleman with a secret. He's his ward. <laughs> what more reason do you need? You know. <laughs> <laughs> Come to Neverland Ranch. <laughs> oh, I'm Batman. Don't you want to? Don't you want to play with Batman? <laughs> You want to be one of my Robins? <laughs> <laughs> you can play with the monkey. Oh, no. God. Oh, God, no. Bubbles. Where's Bubbles? <laughs> uh, so, yeah, this, this movie is quite a basket case to begin with. So, uh, yep. Another fun fact about this movie, it was produced by 20th Century Fox, which famously has made a lot of Marvel-based films. And is now currently owned by Disney, which. Another fun fact to go along with that. I don't know if you're going to bring this up, but this would not be the last connection between Fox and Batman. Ah, yes. Well, I wasn't going to go there, but you can talk about it once I finish this point. So okay. otherwise yeah, yeah. I'll fucking forget. Okay. <laughs> okay. You make your point. My old timers. <laughs> um, so owned by 20th Century Fox who produced this movie, who is now owned by Disney, mm -hmm. which technically makes a Batman film owned by Disney, even though it is a DC property that was licensed out to 20th Century Fox. How crazy is that shit? Do not give Disney more things for them to try to pine after, <laughs> for the love of God. <laughs> so as strange as it is, I don't know how legally valid this is, but Batman 1966, the movie, 
is owned <laughs> by Fox, who is owned by Disney, <laughs> even though they are using the rights to a DC property, and Fox is probably more known for creating Marvel movies like X-Men, so on and so forth. If Fox was going to own any Batman movie, it would be this one. <laughs> if Disney was going to own any Batman movie, it would be this one, as much as they would salivate themselves to the point of drowning (laughs) for the opportunity to buy Batman out from DC. But now, please, bring up your point about Fox. Uh, The other connection that DC, DC's uh, premier flagship hero, Batman, has to Fox is, and is quite possibly one of the most well-known Batman properties, Batman the Animated Series. Which is probably the best superhero cartoon of all time, and probably among the best super cartoons of all time. It's it's definitely up there with uh, my favorites. I, I mean, Fox was definitely uh, killing it and knocking it out of the park with things like Batman, X-Men, and coming in like a not-too-distant third, Spider-Man. And that was... That was the golden age of Saturday morning cartoons. It really was, though. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't think that... I, I don't know. I, I don't think there's any doubt, but I think Saturday morning cartoons have kind of died. I don't think they really exist anymore like they used to. Yeah. Because people can watch cartoons anytime, anywhere with Netflix, Hulu, whatever their streaming app of choice is. Obviously, kids are on digital platforms so they don't have to be at home like they are on weekends they can be out and about like they are during weekdays <laughs> watching these things yeah uh, it's a very different world yeah streaming and digital it, it's part of the ever morphing medium of entertainment that we keep watching and trying to keep up with uh you can currently i think watch uh any episode of batman the animated series on the dc universe streaming app uh, but, as mentioned before, there was a time when it, like many other Marvel properties, was under the banner of Fox Studios in animation. Yeah, so little tidbits of information there. So yeah, just a few fun facts for you. Um, there's <laughs> several more ridiculous trivia facts. For example, the movie was originally scheduled to premiere in Austin, Texas, which um, was compensation for the creation of the bat boat <laughs> that is featured in the film because the bat boat was created by Glastron, which is headquartered in Austin, Texas. And in exchange, they would premiere the film in Austin, Texas to make a big hubbubaloo there down in the south. And, hubbubaloo. Uh, Interesting. Have a good time. <laughs> but, unfortunately, on August 1st, 1966... The premiere had to be postponed because, famously, at the University of Texas, a former uh, student and Marine climbed the observation deck of the, the clock tower and began shooting people oh. on the campus. Oh, my God. Uh, and then eventually committed suicide. So, clearly, there's some controversy and some crisis going on, and... Um, <laughs> they probably didn't want to be associated with that, but they did eventually premiere the film there, as promised. 
Um, some other fun facts. Uh, Cesar Romero is very famous as the Joker during this series. He's probably one of the only consistent characters besides Burt Ward and Adam West. Um, he famously refused to shave his mustache. <laughs> and so you can clearly see his mustache through the makeup through the entire movie, of course. And this was not only true of the movie, but also true of the show frequently. Oh, yeah. Um, the man was really attached to his mustache. He really was. <laughs> uh, and we'll get to this, but I don't think he's a very good Joker. <laughs> I, I mean, out of all of the people who have portrayed Joker, I mean, it's hard to do a worse job than Jared Leto, but, you know, uh, raising the bar an inch off the ground does not a good standard make. Um, <clears throat> the mustache being there i don't think is nearly as big of a memorable thing as this man really accentuated the part of you know the clown prince of crime it's like there there are actors who portray the prince of crime thing and then you have caesar romero who's just a fucking clown he's just a clown (laughs) i don't (laughs) i i uh, this is just a hot take i know it's not popular opinion but i don't like him i don't (laughs) i don't think he's very good at it (laughs) but that's just me i'm sure most people disagree with me and i would not be surprised um i mean (laughs) look The Joker had, up until that point in the comic books, been known for just being a goofy bastard. Well, if you uh, (laughs) get rid of the original version of Joker, who was a homicidal maniac who was gassing people and Batman was shooting to death. Right. Uh, I'm talking about the version of Joker. You're talking about campy 50s late 40s joker i'm assuming yeah yeah i'm talking about 60s that there are comic books in which uh thanks to the internet we can now relive this as a meme uh the joker's boners was a thing (laughs) boners back in this time meaning mistake if you look very closely on our banner page <laughs> for our YouTube channel and our Patreon, you may just see a boner quote or two from the Joker of this era. I may or may not have included it in the uh, collage of comic panels. Yeah, this is the kind of Joker that we got in this movie. I think maybe turned up to almost 11. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely turned up. <laughs> But more on that later. So, oh, yeah. uh, without spoiling the movie, again, there's not a lot to spoil here. It's can't be over the top silly, so you can enjoy this commentary without actually watching it. But we highly recommend you watch it so you can enjoy the discussion. But without any major spoilers or anything, what are you giving it on a grade scale? Um, <laughs> uh, as someone who... Uh, I, I, I'm a big fan, specifically just because of how humorous this movie is. I kind of want to give it an 8 or uh, a B plus. That's very generous. <laughs> it, it's, I, I am giving it a B plus for wow. entertainment factor alone. Wow. It is... This movie 
can manage to entertain me in ways that uh, quite a few modern comic book properties still fail to to this day. <laughs> like, in terms of this being uh, something that accurately reflects the heroes and the villains and, you know, what it was like to read comic books, I'd say it was accurate for its time. Like, it's definitely not anything close to, like, modern Batman. And, you know, in the 60s, that, uh, like, people didn't want that. People, like, we were all about camp. We were all about fun. We were all about making things sexy, 60s style. Nice. And, yeah, this movie succeeds. So I am going to give it a D. (laughs) (laughs) Um... The, the the reason I have to give it a D, def- despite how iconically goofy it is, uh-huh. is because I can't do this for an hour and a half. <laughs> <laughs> if it was a 20-minute episode, sure. I'd, I, I mean, I'd, I'd be right on board with you. Th- this but is it, like it three is, episodes. It is so <laughs> much to take and so much to swallow and digest when you're watching this movie. I wanted to blow my brains out by the end. I was just so done with it. Oh my god, that ending though. However, <laughs> oh god, that's so stupid. However, that being said, it is still based on the average of our grades. Mm-hmm. The number one greatest comic movie of all time <laughs> on comic movie master list because we've only done two. Because we've only done two. Batman sixty six is for right now number one. So yeah, it's uh, it's number one right now. It is number one. <laughs> oh, man. It, it tickles me just how dejected you kind of feel just I from do. watching this thing. I do feel pretty dejected. <laughs> it was exhausting. <laughs> I thought the, the chase scene from Superman and the Mole Men where they had the hound dogs barking for like 10 straight minutes. Oh, that I was thought just that the, was hard. Oh, but that's just the beginning of chase scenes in these things. But the end of this movie, I just wanted to... <laughs> I just wanted it to end. No more. Uh, I would have given it an F if it wasn't so ridiculously funny at the fu- beginning. Then there's just obviously iconic moments you can't discount. But clearly you're getting a bit of our taste <laughs> and the differences in our taste. A little bit. But yeah, that averages out to probably about a C plus. Yep. So in the lead. I'll go with C plus for now. Uh, with <laughs> my D being the tiebreaker for any future C pluses. <laughs> okay, so let's go ahead and jump into it. Again, this is your last warning for spoilers. Again, there's not much to spoil, but, you know, go watch the movie. Have a good time. If you get sick with it, you can cut it off early and not miss a whole lot. However, yeah. you should probably jump ahead to the very last scene because it is ridiculous and funny. Yeah, spoiler alert for a movie that is, again, from 1966. Last chance. Last chance. You've been warned. Okay, let's jump into it. So, very over the top, very ridiculous, from beginning to end. (laughs) No end in sight. Very memorable quotes, including our monologue there at the beginning of the show. Oh, that's just a taste. Just a taste <laughs> of the great logic that was displayed throughout the movie. Is so, logic the word we're going to go with? <laughs> um, probably not the appropriate term. 
So we're going to run through this. Uh, the Superman the Mole Man probably went a little bit smoother than this will because it's so convoluted that I'm going to forget shit. Uh, uh, it, yes. <laughs> and it's, it's probably been a minute since Emery's watched it. Uh, it's probably been a little bit longer than that, but uh, th- there are things that I'm sure that once you mention them, it's going to come right back to me. So the movie begins. Um, we have Batman and Robin solving crimes and getting word that an admiral has been kidnapped and that they need to go check this yacht where the admiral has been staying. And we get our first appearance of the Batcopter, which flies throughout and continues to be on the series, but was not in season one. So it's the first appearance of the Batcopter, along with several other uh, different devices and mobiles and stuff that are very iconic, of course. We're showcasing a lot of vehicles here. So Batman and Robin, they hop into the classic Batmobile with the classic music. Um, that no one will, no one will ever forget that. No one. Not even Bob. Not even. Not even a number one. A guy. <laughs> so they drive out. <laughs> they call ahead to have their helicopter prepared by regular people, <laughs> which is <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> They fly out over the ocean in the helicopter, and while they're flying out, there's all these super over-the-top ridiculous scenes where kids are going, thank you, Batman, (laughs) and police officers stop in their full-dress uniform and take off their hat and cover their hearts while Batman (laughs) flies over. Because he's an American hero. You know, you're looking up so you can see his little underoos, and he's looking down, waving at the kids and stuff. Just just stupid, ridiculous stuff. This is on par with, like, the scene in Batman Forever where Val Kilmer flying the uh, Batjet is giving a thumbs up maybe, like, a mile away from someone who's, like, saluting him. It's like, how, how, how can you see this? <laughs> yeah, so it's very, very silly, over-the-top campy stuff. They fly out over the ocean, which leads to one of the most iconic scenes from all of Batman lore. And this just sets up the entire movie. So apparently there's a buoy that <laughs> Penguin has put out there that projects a big illusion of a yacht. That is moving at high speed. (laughs) Oh, my God. Batman drops the bat ladder, which is clearly labeled bat ladder at the very bottom. There's lots of product placement here. And begins to climb down it while his child ward steers the helicopter. I'll hold it, Batman. As he's climbing down and getting lower, he begins to realize that he's becoming way too close to the the ocean surface and that something's wrong and he starts yelling at robin to pull up pull up because there's no boat here it's an illusion and at that moment a shark (laughs) bites batman's leg (laughs) and hangs on and (laughs) makes these ridiculous like basketball bouncing sounds (laughs) as he's punching this prop shark (laughs) and dangling on the end of this rope And some poor stuntman (laughs) had to recreate these scenes while Adam West was in front of some kind of, you know, rolling tape or something. Oh, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Dramatically trying to punch this prop shark. And then he shouts up to Robin, throw me the shark repellent. And they cut to a scene where they have several different animal repellents, including (laughs) barracuda and whale (laughs) repellent (laughs) and Burt Reward. 
grabs the shark repellent and then proceeds to climb down to Batman and then dramatically holds himself up on the the legs of the ladder and goes upside down to hand Batman the shark repellent. <laughs> and then <laughs> because Robin's an acrobat, guys. It's very clearly this is very all slow and clumsy acrobat. <laughs> This is his trapeze training. Hard at work here. Clearly. <laughs> and so Batman sprays this ridiculous aerosol can, and the shark lets go, but the moment it hits the water, it fucking explodes. <laughs> Just right from the get-go, the most ridiculous shit you could imagine <laughs> in the campiest, goofiest way. Can I change my grade to an A+. Plus? Please don't. <laughs> already off to a winning start it was hilarious <laughs> for what it was i kind of wish it was taken seriously and it wasn't a joke at all because it would be even more impressive <laughs> so fast forward uh we get to the scene where we had our monologue there batman and robin return to shore and there's a press conference and people are asking you know what happened where's the yacht what's going on the admiral's missing you know and Batman basically lies to the press, much like Superman in the previous film. So we're keeping a consistent uh, <laughs> motive here, uh, kind of modus operandi of the DC superhero characters. Lie to the press and lie to everybody. <laughs> oh, yeah. The journalistic integrity we are all about. But when it comes to the exploits of superheroes, fuck them. <laughs> lie your ass off <laughs> and we get this very ridiculous scene where clearly Catwoman in disguise pretending to be this ridiculous <laughs> russian reporter um from the moscow bugle <laughs> tells batman show your face will you show your face and then he goes well sorry ma'am but unfortunately that would compromise our secret identities and compromise the hard work that we do. And then the commissioner steps in and goes, yeah, what are you thinking? <laughs> it's just the most ridiculous, nonsensical scene ever. Yeah, and an mm -hmm. officer of the law saying, no, no, these vigilantes should keep their masks on. Like, what? <laughs> like, in what kind of world would we actually want to hold people accountable for crime fighting? Yeah, and so... She announces her name, <laughs> and it's some long, ridiculous five-name, six-name, let's see here, one, two, three, four, five, five-name Russian <laughs> title, and then from that point on, Batman and Bruce Wayne refer to her as Kitka, <laughs> which is not any of the names, but an acronym of all the first letters of each name <laughs> put together. And for probably 30 minutes of this movie, I was like, why the hell is he calling her Kitka? At no point does <laughs> she say her name is Kitka. And then I realized it was an acronym <laughs> that they had just thrown together to make yeah, a name. Yeah. Uh, for context, the name, the full name that we're referring to is Kitanya Irenia Tatanya. Kerenska Alisov. <laughs> there is no fucking way we're saying that whole fucking name more than once in this film. Yeah, so it's just, again, more camp, more ridiculousness. 
to the point where it's actually kind of clever. <laughs> like, who had to sit down and think of all of these stupid things to insert into the film? So that's kind of funny. And then a little bit of fun trivia fact for you. There's a, a scene with the villains at this point where they're shown on their vessel and <clears throat> their little hideout with basically tricking the admiral and holding him hostage by telling him their ship was docked and that they couldn't leave because they're trying to get permission to leave dock. And so they just keep bringing him tea and crumpets <laughs> to pacify him. And it's clearly Joker. <laughs> no disguise whatsoever. Just Cesar Romero's Joker walking in and out with an apron <laughs> and tea every few minutes to pacify him. The clown prince of crime the clown <laughs> but in the scene you'll notice there is no Catwoman. the reason being they did not have her casted because the original Catwoman did not want to be in this movie and it wasn't until the last minute that they knew that lee merriweather was going to take the role for this movie and then she proceeds to be in all the villain scenes after that so just a, l- a little fun piece of trivia for you So Batman and Robin let the press leave, and then they brainstorm with Commissioner Gordon and um, Chief (laughs) (laughs) O'Hara, who's this very over-the-top, you know, Scottish individual. Of course. And they go through their ridiculous logic, such as... (laughs) uh, Where there's a fish, there is a penguin... (laughs) <laughs> it's the C, as in C, C for, for Catwoman. Cat <laughs> <laughs> uh, what was the other ones? It's, uh, the shark. The shark was leg. pulling my leg. A joke. joke. <laughs> the sinister Joker. joke. The Joker. And then yeah. this all adds up, up to, to a, a sinister, sinister riddle. riddle. The Riddler. Riddler. <laughs> Just ridiculous <laughs> logic here. Which leads to them doing more investigative work, of course. You know, I wasn't trying to look for connections to Batman forever, but in terms of, like, leaps of logic, man. <laughs> it's up there. It, uh, <laughs> you wouldn't understand, Emery. You're not a master detective. <laughs> and uh, uh, look, I'm just saying, <laughs> it's like, oh, what's the... What are these letters? M R E, Mister E, <laughs> a mystery. What's another word for mystery? An enigma. Mister E Nigma, Edward Nigma. Brilliant. <laughs> and this is where we discover that the villains have a pre-nuclear sub, which means it's a diesel sub. Ooh. Again, kind of calling back to the Cold War era and the things that were very present. <clears throat> and the Superman and the Mole Man in 1951 are still very present in 1966 with the goofy, over-the-top, campy Batman series. So they have this pre-nuclear submarine, and they're launching these missiles out of it <laughs> so that <laughs> the Riddler can spell messages in the sky <laughs> and send riddles that are clues to their next plot and plan. <laughs> You'll never get to the bottom of these, Batman! What does Batman do? He's a detective. Ah, fuck. And again, it's the (laughs) same type of leaps in logic that they solve these riddles almost immediately. (laughs) And uh, have to go on the search because they know that the Admiral is kidnapped somewhere and they need to stop these villains. They assert because 
<clears throat> there's four of them that they're seeking world domination. If it was one, maybe it was just a robbery or a crime. If it was two, maybe just Gotham. If it was three, maybe just the country. But with four, it's the world. <laughs> 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 Again, ridiculous leaps in logic. We're going to take over the world, Batman. Wee, 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 wee. <laughs> and so we have this whole subplot that unfolds where... The villains decide that they need to capture a millionaire in order to lure Batman into their sinister trap so they can get rid of Batman so that they can attack the world headquarters and uh, basically kidnap all of these world leaders that are meeting for a conference and take over the world by holding them hostage. So their plan is to have the Russian (laughs) press woman who is secretly Catwoman, <laughs> very mm. obviously so because <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> she <laughs> after everything <laughs> it's like a tick <laughs> and <laughs> God, <it's> so ridiculous. <laughs> and they hatch this plot where they're going to kidnap bruce wayne by having her introduce herself to bruce wayne at wayne manor and then Bruce Wayne invites her on a date. They go on a date. And this leads to a very <clears throat> weird, uncomfortable moment where there's kind of weird sexual undertones between Adam West's character <laughs> and Catwoman. And Burt Ward and Alfred are following closely behind, watching everything and feeling very uncomfortable with what's being said and what's going on. I have to make sure he doesn't do it. Alfred, what are we going to do? And the reason being because they figured out Riddler's riddle in the sky (laughs) and asserted that they were going to kidnap Bruce Wayne at some point. But, of course, Bruce Wayne can't deduct that it's Catwoman despite her constant meowing. (laughs) Oh, I'm sure women do that all the time, right? Uh, Catwoman has this ridiculous Morse code radio transmitter where she's sending messages in Morse code to the other villains during the date. It's just so over the top. And we get to a point where... Finally, they're up in the the apartment building, kind of having a little intimate moment, and Burt Ward says, no, this is wrong. We can't watch this. And Alfred's like, are you sure? (laughs) Again, very weird, dirty sexual undertones there. Finally, Robin goes, no, it's not right, and shuts it off, (laughs) even though they're supposed to be watching for a kidnapping. And this is when the villains break in and have this ridiculous punch-out fight with Bruce Wayne. Uh, Adam West jumping from place to place, trying to throw these guys around and punch them all. And eventually they overpower him by just jumping on him. (laughs) Literally just piling onto him. Bold strategy. And they kidnap him. And they fly away on rocket umbrellas. Which, fun trivia for you, (laughs) the rocket umbrellas that are huge, unfolded, or not folded, but uh, collapsed umbrellas, just long folded umbrellas, like witches' brooms, but umbrellas. Yeah. That they're riding through the sky (laughs) individually with an unconscious Bruce Wayne on the back. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Meanwhile, Burt Ward turns on the, the... camera and sees that oh clearly something's happened all the furniture is destroyed and they go oh shucks golly gee blah 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 you know the campy stuff (laughs) because they've lost bruce and they don't know what happened clearly he's been abducted during this intimate moment while they're flying away on these giant rocket umbrellas which were originally supposed to be here's the trivia for you 
backpacks. But for some reason, it was cheaper to make giant rocket umbrellas <laughs> that you could ride than it was to make a rocket backpack for each character. I'm trying to remember uh, at what point the movie From Russia with Love came out, uh, considering that that also featured a backpack jet jetpack thing. Um because I would have assumed that having that and just making it look like they're flying would have been cheaper than constructing rocket umbrellas. Yeah, it's ridiculous. <laughs> and just looking like they're going, whee! And again, because <laughs> this plot is so convoluted and ridiculous, I forgot a scene. <laughs> so prior to this, when they first show the submarine and everything, Batman and Robin go to the, again, on the Batcopter to the Bat boat they ride out on the bat boat which is actually kind of awesome i kind of <laughs> dig the bat boat more than anything they ride out on the bat boat uh and check out the buoy to investigate and then penguin activates a magnet on it which makes their belts attached to it and they can't break free and then they start loading torpedoes slowly <laughs> and shooting them one by one at them and then, oh my god. Instead of just taking the belts off and leaving <laughs> like a normal person, they decide they can't break free because they can't take off their belts and they do some bullshit science by reversing the polarity of the radio waves and sending anti-field gravity towards the missile so it'll explode prematurely. <laughs> and sure enough, they make it explode prematurely. On the first one, and then the second one, and then the third one, the battery's dead. I can't stop it, Robin. <laughs> and then it blows up, and you th they make it suggested that Batman and Robin have met their end. And then it cuts to a scene where they're driving away, and the villains are upset because somehow they got away. And then he explains that a passing porpoise saved our lives <laughs> by s <laughs> selflessly throwing itself in front of that torpedo. <laughs> <laughs> So, Thanks, Aquaman. I just couldn't. I, I couldn't skip that because, like, <laughs> Peta, if you're watching, Batman murdered a porpoise. <laughs> or according no, to no. Batman, the porpoise <laughs> selflessly threw itself <laughs> in harm's way in order to save them. Oh, you know damn well he found the porpoise and fucking threw it. <laughs> it's just <laughs> again just ridiculous. And then the submarine itself is also ridiculous. It's a penguin, but it has, instead of, like, propellers, it has flapping paddles, which are penguin feet, <laughs> that drive the submarine. And then Batman does some investigative work, or it's a obviously satire of the U.S. military defense, where they call an admiral, and they go, Admiral... Have you noticed any pre-nuclear subs that have been released to market recently? He goes, why, yes, Batman. We recently sold one to an Enigma. And I don't know if it was Enigma, but it was something really obvious. It was either the Enigma or the Joker or something, something real obvious, like Joker or something like that. Something silly and campy. And he goes, great Scott, Batman. You don't think that something nefarious has happened with our sub? And then Batman explains. It's almost <laughs> like Batman called you or something. <laughs> and then, then <laughs> Batman very sarcastically goes, no, why would I think that, Admiral? Why would Batman be calling you about a pre-nuclear sub? <laughs> and then hangs up the phone, again, making, making the Admiral out to being a complete you know, idiot. 
And then the Commodore, who is kidnapped currently, is also a complete idiot. So <laughs> clearly there's not a lot of respect shown. There's a whole lot of big brains in this operation. <laughs> and now back, fast forward to Bruce Wayne being kidnapped. We jump to a scene where Bruce Wayne is tied up and he's being threatened and held hostage. And they're wondering where Batman is. And they talk about how they have this <laughs> platform that's going to... Uh, it's basically a modified jack-in-the-box from the Joker that's going to shoot Batman through a window out into the ocean where there is laying in wait an exploding octopus that will kill Batman. (laughs) Surely this exploding octopus will do it. (laughs) And they're going to lure him in by having him come to rescue Batman. And then this proceeds this whole thing uh, where Catwoman is going back and forth between Catwoman and the Russian Kitka and pretending uh, for to kind of figure things out. And then Batman fools her, well, Bruce Wayne fools her, by pretending he has a little monitor in the, his sleeve to send radio transmissions to the police. <laughs> his argument is, why, of course I do. I'm a capitalist. What do you think wealthy capitalists do? They must secure their funds. <laughs> Just ridiculous stuff. Uh, obvious satire, of course. Of course. And so he tricks them because now they have to untie his hands in order to get in a sleeve. And then he uses his free hands to start fighting them and pushing them and fighting them off. And then some goons, some pirate goons come in and try to fight him. And then Bruce Wayne murders a guy. Just straight up murders a dude by pushing him onto the platform that ejects him out through the window and then blows him up. And then Batman, well, Bruce Wayne, again, fights them off and then escapes through the window and runs away, runs back to the manor where he's greeted by a frantically pacing uh, Dick Grayson and Alfred, who are could not figure anything out, or couldn't <laughs> figure out who took them or where they took him or anything without Batman's help. <laughs> we need Bruce Wayne's big brain to help us figure out this riddle. So again, they were just pacing back and forth, doing exactly that, <laughs> hand writhing. Um. This is a very angry team that Batman just decided to adopt. And then Bruce Wayne does not bother explaining anything. The commissioner goes, oh, Greg, Scott, you're away. And then Bruce Wayne explains that, oh, Batman saved me, commissioner. It's all good. And then sends everybody home and (laughs) pretends that they're going to go up to bed and relax or whatever. And then once everybody's walked out the door, they turn around and run down to the, the bat poles so they can jump down to the bat cave and become Batman and Robin and everything. Yeah, I didn't uh I didn't remember until watching that movie that uh in order for them to get their costumes on like I used to think it was just oh they slide down the pole and you know they they just jump into their costumes. On their way down, there is a switch that they <laughs> flip. Sure is. That just <laughs> Which I, I'm just calling it the uh, cut to the costume scene. <laughs> it's like, psh, now we're in costume. <laughs> yeah. So ridiculous sequence of events. Again, can't be over the top ridiculous as it was intended to be. Of course. And they go down and now they have to solve, you know, what's their grand scheme in this? What, what are they going to do next? How do we stop them? And again, it's very convoluted. I don't remember every little detail because at this point, the movie had been like an hour long and I was just (laughs) (laughs) kind of done with it. But I kept watching because we got to do this. It's for our fans. 
all 10 of you we love you (laughs) (laughs) by the way we have a patreon if you want to submit to patreon and help us out we'd very much appreciate it patreon.com forward slash hit the books thank you heather reap once again shameless plug but uh, we get to the scene where they go out and the villains reveal that they have a dehydrator, <laughs> which they are going to use to dehydrate <laughs> these world leaders and then store them in little vials and kidnap them on their sub. You know, this actually reminds me of the now that I think about it, kind of absurd device that was implemented in the movie Batman Begins. (laughs) It's like, oh, wait, how are we going to fear gas the entire city? Steam machine. Steam machine. (laughs) How are we going to steam all this water? We're going to use something that produces a stupid amount of microwaves that is going to turn all of the Gotham's water supply into gas. Steamy. How how is it that that doesn't just immediately kill everyone who's any kind of close to that? (laughs) We're mostly water. It's true. It's a fair point, dog. It's a fair point. It's a perfect analogy, <laughs> despite how good that movie is. <laughs> Some uh, things still hold over. Apparently. You might have just ruined that movie for me. So thanks, Emery. <laughs> of course, you think we I get wear to this it. Marvel across my chest for nothing? Ah, what a stooge! Ha! <laughs> huh, I've tricked you and foiled you all along. How's Jonathan Hickman treating you? How dare you? (laughs) (laughs) Still sore, huh? Sore that he made my favorite collection of heroes all a bunch of plant-based villains. Cuck ducks. Nice. (laughs) Cuck. (laughs) (laughs) All right. uh, Back to the movie at At large. At hand here. Yeah. So uh, we have this whole Insidious plot, and we have this whole sequence, which, again, it... This is something I want to emphasize here. The Penguin really drives this entire movie. It, Penguin is clearly the ringleader of the entire operation. And the Dr. Evil, if you will. In my opinion, Burgess Meredith is easily the best <laughs> character actor in this entire movie. Easily. easily. Oh, my God. I mean, Lee Mer- Merriweather does a pretty good job, and then obviously the others are iconic for their roles. But I really think that Burgess Meredith really goes all in, and he does a great job of it. And it's just so over the top. So how does <laughs> how does a vaguely bird-themed gangster manage to outact the Riddler, the Joker, and Catwoman? Yeah, it's impressive. And he has some great kind of lines and improv parts, which happens in the scene. Uh, again, another fun trivia fact that I learned while doing research on this movie. So the, in this scene, they're testing the dehydrator ahead of time on their goons. Yeah. And they literally are called guinea pigs, one through five. Oh, my God. And he calls <laughs> them this. in, and they have GP, number one, number two, number three, so on and so forth, G- <laughs> for guinea pig. Yeah. <laughs> and then he, he uses the dehydrator on each and every one of them because they're going to test this plan out by having 
the penguin pretend to be the admiral or the uh, commodore mm-hmm. and who is kidnapped currently and then have batman take him back to the bat cave and then he's going to rehydrate all of his goons and then they're going to ambush batman and robin in the bat cave with the rehydrated goons <laughs> Because when it comes to goons, you can just add water. It's not like turning you to dust won't immediately kill you. It's just like extras. Go check that out, Hollywood. I'm sure it works. <laughs> Save that budget. Oh, my God. And if they die, you got CG. Don't worry. Uh, yeah, it's fine. I'm <laughs> sure it's fine. Everything's fine. <laughs> so... This whole plan is hatched. They go back to the the bay where Bruce Wayne was kidnapped to try to investigate. And this is where we get the infamous bomb scene where they've left a bomb in there. The villains are gone. They've left a bomb in order to kill Batman if he comes to investigate. My favorite. This is like literally my favorite uh, running scene throughout this entire movie. And so we have the iconic gif that people have seen all over the internet where Batman is running around with this giant round bomb trying to get rid of it, (laughs) running all the way up and down the dock (laughs) and not finding any safe place to to throw the bomb and get rid of it, which is very reminiscent of another Nolan movie where he has to get rid of a bomb. (laughs) Uh, Wow, that is... God, that's so true. In the Dark Knight Rises, we feature another such bomb that Batman has to take over the lake and get rid of. (laughs) (laughs) The bomb is armed. The bomb is mobile. And the identity of the Trigger Man is a mystery. (laughs) (laughs) Which, uh, this bomb had to have a Trigger Man, because it stayed lit for a long-ass time. (laughs) He was running around with this bomb for like 10 minutes straight. It's like, why? What are nuns doing here? What's this baby and this mom doing here? What's this gaggle of people just walking? Why do I keep running into them? (laughs) Where do I put this bomb? There's a weird marching band going up and down the pier. There's groups of drunk sailors. He can't get rid of the people in the bar because there's two fat ladies munching down and refusing to leave (laughs) despite everybody else running away. Nobody on the pier seems panicked, even though everybody in the bar was panicked and ran away. I like how they just all calmly walk away from him while Batman is like, move! Oh, that's the thing. He doesn't even say move. He doesn't say anything. He doesn't. He's silent this whole time. Stares at them for a second, considers it, and then turns around and runs another direction. Like like running around with a comically large, cartoonishly like constructed bomb. And everyone's like, oh, this is just Batman running around. I'm sure it's fine. And then at one point, he he stops for a group of ducks. After a porpoise <laughs> sacrificed its life to save him, he couldn't sacrifice the ducks. I won't take any more nature dying tonight. <laughs> Except the people he kills. <laughs> but we'll get to that. So then he runs. Again. Eventually, the scene leads to him running to the end of the pier, tossing the bomb at the last minute, and he hides behind some steel rods. Again, they in- insinuate that he's died, and <laughs> Burt Ward's Robin runs over and is sad, and then he sees... Adam West pop up 
It's okay, Robin. I'm <laughs> all right. He stands up from behind these steel poles or whatever that are sitting there that <laughs> somehow shielded him from the bomb's explosion. Yeah, he just stands up. It's like he was hiding from the audience specifically. It's just like, oh, it's fine, Robin. Exactly. <laughs> it's, it's so ridiculous. <laughs> it's so silly. <laughs> and this is where we get introduced to Commodore Penguin, who comes waddling over, going, wah, 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 despite being in disguise <laughs> as the Commodore. <laughs> and then they have a talk, you know, without looking at the Penguin, who's pretending to be the Commodore. And they go, it's the Penguin, right? I don't know, Robin. I think so. It has to be. <laughs> and so they know. It's almost it's- like he makes that sound and waddles like a criminal we know. <laughs> <laughs> but I just think it's funny that they solve all these riddles with these ridiculous leaps of logic. And then they don't realize that Kitka is the Catwoman until the middle of the movie. <laughs> meanwhile, the penguin, they figure out right away. <laughs> and so, again. Uh, Meredith was just playing his ass off for this movie and it had no right for him to play <laughs> the role so hard. <laughs> and so they take him in the Batmobile unaware of his vile rehydration plot. Take him to the Batcave where they're going to give him a retinal scan to confirm that it is the, the uh, Commodore. I don't know why that word won't come to my brain. keep wanting to say Admiral. The Commodore. And so... <laughs> They take him back to the Batcave, and he talks his ass off while Batman and Robin are preparing the equipment, and then goes over to get himself a glass of water from the (laughs) water dispenser where they have regular water and heavy water, (laughs) which Batman uses for his experiments. (laughs) And, (laughs) And so the Penguin accidentally fills the vials with heavy water, which apparently overinflates the goons. And so when Batman and Robin go to fight the goons, they all start popping and disappearing, meaning they killed them. <laughs> so Robin killed one guy, Batman killed two guys, and then uh, Penguin killed <laughs> two guys. In that scene alone, they're dead. They're murdered. They literally murdered them in front of you because they were filled with heavy water and they popped. So... Technically, they were killed twice. (laughs) (laughs) They were dehydrated. They were not dead, sir. Uh, Oh, come on. We know the truth. They were dust. (laughs) Thanos couldn't have, like, dusted them harder than this. (laughs) So they have this whole segment where they beat them up and Penguin's kind of traps, but then Penguin steals the Batmobile by tricking them with gas and runs away having stolen the Batmobile. Uh, back to the original supervillains who now hatch their plan to use the dehydrator to attack the world center and abduct all of these world officials from various different countries. And it shows a scene where they're all arguing in a room together, all speaking completely different languages. So, of course, nobody can understand each other. And of course, they break in. And this leads to this whole break in sequence where Penguin is pretending to be an innocent bystander and then he gasses all of them with his umbrella that opens and floats across the room, <laughs> spreading the gas <laughs> and knocks out all the guards, two of which fall together, cross shouldered, and hold each other up with their unconscious bodies. And then Penguin proceeds to climb underneath them and climb under them again on the way back. 
And it's just so ridiculous. Then the other villains come up in the elevator, all in full costume, of course. Of course. And go up there and start dehydrating each individual ambassador. And, of course, they're arguing so much they don't even notice that each one is being turned to dust. <laughs> and then they proceed to start sweeping each of them into a vile, which ends the scene. And they go back to the submarine. Flash forward, Batman and Robin uh, head out there in their bat boat to assault the submarine. They basically run a circle and they have this weird, I don't know, radar gun or something that they're using. And they're shooting this weird radar pulse at the submarine, somehow not realizing that they dehydrated these people. <laughs> and so you see the vial bouncing back and forth, potentially breaking and everybody freaking out. And finally, they force the submarine to come up because it's getting too much damage. And yeah. this is where they park the boat and get, throw their ropes and climb onto the submarine and start fighting everybody on top of the submarine, which is the big action sequence for <laughs> the movie where you see all the classic bam, pow, thwack, <laughs> and sploosh. <laughs> I love that sploosh is one of the words. The so you have your sweet action scenes where everybody's fighting and they both get pushed off by Catwoman at one point and then they climb <laughs> back on and continue the fight. It's just <laughs> all the ridiculousness you could imagine. All and of it. <laughs> <laughs> finally, the fight's concluded on the top, but Catwoman flees down the hatch and they follow her down. Catwoman trips and is uh, hurt and that's when her mask comes off. And Batman figures out that it's Kitka, and his heart is broken. How could you? And they have this super like zoomed in intense scene where Robin's trying to console Batman, and not Bruce, obviously. And Batman's in near tears, talking about how his heart can be broken, and how why would Batman's heart be broken? <laughs> it's just this long silly scene. And then Robin puts her in bat cuffs. And they go over it and they see the vials and they figure out, oh, these must be in the ambassadors. They must be in these vials. And that's when the Commodore seemingly drunkenly stumbles out and s reveals himself to Batman and everything. And then trips, just like Catwoman did, onto the vial, smashing the vials, and then proceeds to sneeze <laughs> on the powder and blows all the dust of all the ambassadors into oh, no. a million little bits. And this leads to a whole sequence, uh, again, can't be over the top silly sequence, where they're in the lab in full costume with lab coats and everything and goggles, uh, going through every single piece of sand or dust and trying to use this separator machine to split them up. Meanwhile, the commissioner is on the phone with the president, uh, who is on the phone with the world. <laughs> it shows all these scenes of different countries of people and giant crowds waiting for an answer on what <laughs> what the verdict is if they can save them just imagining batman and robin wearing their costumes and then wearing all of this scientific equipment on top of their costume yeah they had to be sweating <laughs> their balls off <laughs> there's no way around it so they have this tense moment they run the machine and then obviously they separated them successfully so they're all in separate vials 
they announce it to the commissioner who then announces it to the press who then announces it to the president who then announces it to the world and they show these scenes of all these different countries <laughs> celebrating and cheering and going nuts <laughs> because they successfully saved these ambassadors yeah batman and robin did it yeah and then they have this kind of funny scene where they talk robin talks about well you know they have so much trouble working together maybe we could reshuffle a molecule or two to fix this and change it and Adam West thinks about it for a second and goes, no, Robin, we shouldn't mess with what nature intended. <laughs> they decide not to mess with the particles. Fast forward to the scene where they rehydrate them in the, the office. They rehydrate all of them, again, successfully with the press and the, the police force in the room. And they continue arguing like nothing happened. However, there's a twist. Each ambassador is speaking a different language <laughs> than their home country. <laughs> so clearly something unintentionally got mixed. But now... <laughs> that's, uh, that, that's a bit of an oopsie. And then Robin says, you know, maybe this isn't such a bad thing. Now they can finally understand each other. And then I don't remember the exact line, but a- Adam West Batman says something along the lines, well, a mistake that may have humbled the world. <laughs> the people like suggesting that because they speak different languages, now they can speak to each other, even though none of them <laughs> can, can necessarily speak a different language. It's just the wrong they, language. They, they might uh, be able to understand like one other person at that table now. No, just one. <laughs> Maybe that's assuming that they just. You know, having completely had their brains switched to where the language that they're speaking now is now just the only one that they can understand. Yeah, and now, (laughs) again, they're arguing like nothing ever happened, which is, again, another satire on world organizations. And, they again, they drop little snide remarks about world organizations working together and failing to do so throughout the entire thing. (laughs) Yeah. A lot of political satire in this movie, which is probably why adults enjoy it. Just as much as kids, for the most part. And then we have the final scene that you addressed earlier, where they, (laughs) after the press and the police have swarmed around them, Batman says, now, Robin, let's leave, but discreetly. (laughs) And so they back away (laughs) to these windows in the corner where they have to use a handle to wind open these thin, narrow windows <laughs> slowly, <laughs> attach their ropes, gonna... turn back to make sure nobody's paying attention, <laughs> and then climb through the window gonna... and do the iconic rope climb down the, the side of the wall where you get the splash screen, the end, and then it <laughs> replaces the end with the living end, dot, 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 question mark. <laughs> And you get to see these these two caped crusaders, costumed crime fighters, just very slowly descend the side of a building. For the end credits, Batman, can can you make sure I uh, tied this correctly? I don't want to, I don't want to fall all the way down. <laughs> so that's basically the end of the movie they roll some credits which back then they really only showed the major stars they didn't really show much of the cast which is unfortunate but you get it you know yeah it, it was a mo- film of its time uh we didn't talk about this earlier but it made a moderate amount of profit it's estimated that the film budget was a little over a million dollars let me see the f- see if i can find the specs here 
1.3 million dollars almost 1.4 estimated and then you add production to that and then i i, I couldn't find confirmation because they kind of kept things close to the chest during this era um but apparently uh with promotion and everything it was about twice that much so about you know 3400 ish you know uh million dollars three million dollars four hundred thousand and then they made a profit after everything was said and done of about three hundred thousand dollars which let me give you some context for that which means they they spent about 27 million total so they made you know roughly 30 million (laughs) dollars back of the 27 they spent which by today's standards is a pretty small budget movie it's i mean joker th- this was is made for about 45 so it's not impossible to make a big blockbuster film with y- this money but uh clearly money was not the priority for 20th century fox yeah uh, especially when you take into account that this is riding on the heels of a season of the show that this is supposed to be directly connected to and well, the production was basically three episodes tied together. Yeah. So, uh, you know, moderately successful. And I'd say the studio was probably okay with what happened because it got more press for the show, got more viewership for the show, and uh, generated a little bit of extra income, which is always a good thing. Worked as intended. Um, and, you know. Three million dollars is three million dollars. So yeah, I, I don't think anybody's going to complain about making that much profit. No, anywhere. <laughs> no, but uh, just an interesting piece of information there. A few other things I did want to mention. Um, this was the last role in a film, not necessarily for TV, because obviously it continued on TV, but in a film for Alan Napier, who played Alfred. Uh, he did not die until 1988, but he did not star in any other films after this. So, wow, something to note there. Uh, even though he was, you know, uh, portrayed Alfred very well, you know, especially in this campy universe. And then the other person who died quickly after this movie, he died in 1967. So a year later, less than a year later, at age 75, was the uh, actor who portrayed uh, the Commodore, who is Reginald Denny. So I thought that might be nice to note in there. Uh, A man who lived a good long life, was from the UK, born in 1891. And when you're watching that movie, you're watching a man who was born in 1891 and uh, a man that was born in 1903. So two two men that uh, certainly were old in the movie, but... uh, it's amazing you can get that context and say, damn, <laughs> you know, it's like he's the born in the 1800s and I'm watching these people in movies. Yeah. It's kind of crazy if you really think about it from today's perspective. So very interesting, very cool little tidbits, a lot of trivia around this movie, a lot of cult classic, you know, iconic moments and dialogue. You know, we talked about the bomb <laughs> running. That's been a famous gif on the internet for probably 20 years now. Oh yeah. Um, the 60s just, was a wild time. We have the iconic, you know, uh, Batmobile being featured. You have the Bat Cycle, which is introduced for the first time. You have the Bat Copter, which is introduced for the first time. You have the Bat Boat, which is never seen again on the show. 
um, but was featured in that episode. It was it's fe- it gets a cameo, I think, in the first episode of the second season, but it never gets shown again, which is again another little fun little trivia tidbit for you. But uh, just because it was so expensive to film, you know, they yeah. had to take a whole film crew out on the ocean and actually film it <laughs> running around in water. So kind of. Uh, interesting little tidbits you get all of these new gadgets you get all of these new vehicles which i'm sure they marketed for toys and stuff for kids uh wouldn't be surprised you have new actors uh and actresses leading you know iconic roles and then you have people uh doing their iconic roles for the last time at least for a season like the yeah. riddler um uh one thing that really stuck out to me during this film is that i Again, I, I'm not really a big fan of Cesar Romero's Joker, even in the context of being campy and silly, personally. I actually think that this version of the Riddler, um, again, portrayed by Frank Gorshin, I think he is a better Joker than the Joker is in terms of how he behaves and how he acts and how he maniacally laughs ever after every uh, you know plan and plot. You know, I just... I feel like Cesar Romero just did not want to be there, <laughs> which is kind of featured by the fact that he has this painted over mustache because he refused to <laughs> shave his mustache for the film role. How he doesn't really have a real plot point in the film. He's just kind of he, along for the ride. <laughs> yeah, he's there because he's the Joker and Batman always has to have the Joker around for some reason. You know, and it's, it's funny because the Riddler obviously is sending clues to Batman and hatching plots to try to kill him uh the penguin is kind of the gang leader of the entire group and obviously is supplying all the funds and the financing and everything catwoman is obviously leading the kind of field work and you know spying on batman and tricking bruce wayne so they can kidnap him and obviously doing her typical thing throughout the entire thing (laughs) Uh, so everybody else has a major role to play, whereas Joker's just kind of there. He's just kind of the guy who follows the orders, which is weird. You don't think of Joker as the guy following the orders of all of the other villains. Right. You think of Joker disobeying them and doing whatever the fuck he wants because he has a better idea anyway. And Okay, again, you this do is, bring up a fair point. This is just one of the kind of many reasons why this version of Joker annoys me because he's, <laughs> you know, they call him the clown prince of crime, but he's not really royal in any sense of the word because he's taking orders from literally everybody else he's not really doing anything other than being the the commodore's bitch boy and serving him tea (laughs) the actor himself refused to shave off his mustache for a simple role that he probably could have regrown in the matter of a few weeks you know and the acting you know he's shown up by the joker or i'm sorry the riddler's actor uh frank gorshin it's I just don't see I get why he's iconic for the look, but I don't get why he's held in such high regard compared to other people in the series that I feel did a much better job, especially people like the Penguin and even Catwoman. This is the first time we saw this version of Catwoman. And she did a great job. <laughs> like, I, Yeah, they, they kind of let him be the clown bitch of crime this time around. He really was. So I have <clears throat> some gripes, you know, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> The movie's not super long by modern standards, and as a Batman film, it's the only one under two hours, which, when you think about it, how is that even possible? <laughs> yeah. But um, it's just, it's a it's 105 minutes long. 
So a good hour and a half there. Like you said, probably three episodes worth of content. And it does kind of have three different acts that you can follow. So it makes sense. It was meant to be kind of a little accessory to the, the first season of the show to kind of get hype up for the second season of the show. Obviously, there's not really much canon that you need to follow because the characters don't even remain the same. <laughs> you know, Not really. There's a lot of changes that happen after this, a lot of different uh, actors and actresses that portray the characters, and obviously some of the equipment never appears again, and if it does appear, it appears much later. So just very interesting tidbits, you know. Um, but for what it is, I think it's, you know, a fun, campy, ridiculous thing that... Should be remembered fondly, you know, as a piece of satire, as a piece of silly humor, you know, kind of an American version of the silly Monty Python type humor that was being created over in the UK. Yeah, 60s Batman does fit in very well with Monty Python, now that I think about it. And it's it it fits the campy aesthetic of the kind of Silver Age ridiculousness we remember seeing. Uh, and those classic comics uh, and kind of unfortunately the basis for a lot of mockery as well for superheroes and superhero content and as much as people remember this fondly i think the downside is that it really took the superman movie to really revive comic books as some kind of respectable medium and even that was kind of campy and silly you know so yeah it uh when it comes to the Superman movie, like reviving people's interest and ability to take it at least some kind of serious, it's uh, I find that movie, while definitely a product of its time, is very much uh, trying to bring back the earnestness of the idea of the superhero. Yeah, so I, I definitely see your point, but... From my perspective, obviously, we're far, far in the future. You know, we're about, <laughs> what, almost 60 years in the future now? Yeah. We, we, can, we have the fortunate perspective of seeing all of this in far-removed hindsight. Yeah, about f- 54 years. Yeah. But um, obviously, you have to take everything with a grain of salt. But it's not like a more serious tone wasn't created at some point the serials were very serious in a lot of cases not always but there were serious serials based on comic books we obviously had superman the moleman which is much more grounded if not a little silly in itself um, more so because the modern view of what was happening in it was kind of silly with the hillbilly rage and (laughs) mob (laughs) mentality that was going on this movie again as iconic and silly and over the top and satirical as it was and should be held in high regards from a modern lens for a lot of reasons because again the series was very iconic again having uh, a black cat woman was obviously extremely controversial at the time but from a modern lens it's like yeah no big deal cool you know but that was yeah. a, that was a big risk that they took in that third season they premiered batgirl which is a female superhero in the third season um, they were actually trying to make her the premiere for the second movie. Um, so they invested a lot of time and money. You know, they're making snide comments about the incompetency of the <laughs> Ministry of Defense and, you know, the government and world leaders not being able to c- communicate or, you know, 
work together in any way, shape, or form. So there's a lot of cool objective wisdom here in this movie. Yeah. If you you really want to take a critical eye to it, which is great, and probably why it stands the test of time a lot better than Superman and the Mole Men, despite me liking Superman and the Mole Men a little bit better. Um, So there's a lot to love, a lot to respect. uh, Introduced a lot of different aspects and ideas that probably weren't really noticed or seen before. And for that, it really deserves to be commended. But again, I think it just did so many... So many disservices to comic book fans because now for the next <laughs> ten plus years, it was the basis for all the mockery. Oh, you're into that silly, ridiculous underpants thing where, yeah. where the goofy pals and bams and the ridiculous movie and the go-go dancers and everything. <laughs> what a dork! What a nerd! What a loser! You know. <laughs> but if you look deeper, a lot of these books had some really great content, especially the the original books. You know. Yeah, a lot of serious, uh, serious connotations, especially as we got into the '70s, where he got the much more dark and centered books. You know, because people coming home from Vietnam wanted something a little bit more serious, and because they had a pretty horrifying experience in Vietnam, so the culture changed greatly. And this was seen as silly and childish and ridiculous, even though there was great threads of satire and humor and commentary about different things that are still relevant today so uh, unfortunately i feel like it probably did more disservice to the comic book community and fans of comic books that really took kind of the revolution of the marvel books kind of having more grounded human stories in the 70s with stan lee and those creators um and kind of pushing the narrative forward in the late 60s, you know, early 70s and so forth. And the culture changing around Vietnam. It really took a lot to get to Superman, the movie. Um, and it kind did of take a lot. Shed that campy, ridiculous, childish phase. And even that, you know, from modern lens is campy and silly and over the top. So um, I'm very conflicted on this movie. <laughs> you know, I don't want to dislike it. But I also kind of do for both what it did for the culture. But, uh, you know, there's no good reason from a modern lens for as a person that didn't live during the 70s and 80s and have to suffer with the stereotypes created by this necessarily. You know, obviously, we grew up both of us primarily before the Marvel phase really kicked off before the Nolan verse really kicked yeah. off and gave some respectability to these movies. I, I mean, we we're basically teenagers when X-Men and stuff like that came out and started to ground co- comic book movies a little bit more. But, you know, movies like this and the movies by Joel Schumacher, you know, really, really hurt the community and really gave a bad visage to pop culture for comic book fans and nerdum, And whether they could enjoy this, the media and peace you know more or less now it's not a big deal everybody likes superheroes and comic books media whether it's a show or a movie or the comic book itself or an animated series whatever the case is you know so there was a lot of recovery that had to be done both through the animated series you know whether it's batman the animated series which is much more serious the x-men animated series which is much more serious spider-man the animated series uh, Superman was a little campy, but even that, you know, had some more groundwork to it. Yeah. Justice League, the animated series, all of this comic book media, you know, Turtles was very 
goofy and over the top as a cartoon series, even though the comic was very dark and sinister and kind of bloody and gory. Yeah, that was that was quite the switch, especially like as someone who hadn't really read any of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle comics going from their classic 80s, 90s cartoons and movies and then going back to read those comic books, it, it is nearly unrecognizable what they turn those turtles into by comparison. Yeah, absolutely. There, uh, There's a good series on Netflix, if you care to check it out. It's called The Toys That Made Us. Yeah. Where one of the episodes features Ninja Turtles, and they talk about the drastic difference between you know Kirkman's Ninja Turtles series and what eventually became the cartoon, which was very silly and cartoony and clearly for children. Right. Uh, even though we have fond memories of it and everything. Yeah, trying to drive toy sales, essentially. Whereas stuff like X-Men, Spider-Man, Batman the Enderman series, that stuff challenged me as a kid. You know? Challenged you, I'm sure. Oh, and, yeah. And even today can challenge you quite a bit, even though it is, at its core, a cartoon series that was targeted primarily at you know children and teenagers, but... You know, there was a lot of context and thought put into these series, whereas prior to that, it was all kind of surrounded by this campy aspect. And, you know, maybe Batman 1989 has a lot to do with that as well, with uh, the portrayal there, which is still kind of campy and over the top, of course. Yeah. Um, uh, Tim Burton really knows how to, like, ride the line between full-on, damn near Edward Scissorhands-style camp and going straight into the dark and weird. So, you know, just personally, I, I know you think of it very fondly, and I totally understand <laughs> why, you know, I'm not saying that you're wrong in any way, shape, or form. I'm probably in the minority here uh, for this opinion, but I'm just very conflicted, and I struggled to give it the credit that it, I know that it's due. Um, so for me, it's very conflicted. How do you feel about it? Uh, when it comes to Batman, Batman 66, I think the, <clears throat> the thing that always kind of grounds me in just a general sense of joy in watching this movie is actually the opening set of scrawled texts al- along the, uh, along the bricks letting the audience know exactly what they're in for, who they're trying to reach, and the open admission that this is just pure escapism mm-hmm. and we're doing this because we think it's fun. Yeah, it's very self-aware. Yeah. yeah. I think it is that immediate self-awareness that um, when it comes to watching this movie, while I can recognize the... The time period, specifically the 60s and 70s, where comics at large were trying to find their way into the type of stories that they wanted to tell, the type of stories that they thought they needed to tell. Yeah. Um, This was also, in a way, a product of moving from the 50s into the 60s. It was like going into the Cold War, the constant talk and possible threat of there being some car- some kind of like nuclear war armageddon between the the United States and Russia them like this movie 
doing what it can to not just tell you, <coughs> excuse me, tell you a superhero tale for the ages where Batman and Robin get to the bottom of a sinister plot con constructed by several of their villains together while also having some commentary about current events at that time. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they had, like, the Solaris missile and all of these different things, you know, mentioned. Yeah. You know, obviously being relevant to the Cold War area. And just a lot of very cool things. Yeah. Uh, it. I love this movie for its nearly labyrinthine just open stride into trying to be lighthearted and fun and campy and satirical and poignant and uh, weirdly sexual. <laughs> Definitely weirdly sexual at times. And also like very kind of like commercial in its attempt to like oh look at all of these things that batman has look at all of look at these vehicles and yeah. all of the the things that they can do all and, the bat gadgets and then their attempt to try to make at least uh towards the end try to make uh batman like very human very relatable like oh why would Batman have a broken heart? <laughs> <laughs> Come with us, Robin. What they're doing is probably the most important work any group of leaders has ever done in their entire life. <laughs> but let's leave discreetly. <laughs> <laughs> so ridiculous. It, it's ridiculous in how... How serious, at, at at least on the surface, these characters were taking the situations that they were placed in, while at the same time being so fucking aware of itself <laughs> that it, I, I just, I, I love this movie so much. I, I love it, and I love just about everything about it. There might be like one or two things where I'm just like, okay, this just looked like, especially with the bomb scene, it just looked like, oh, we have like about a thousand and one different uh, cuts of how this thing goes down. And well, it, uh, I I'm not sure how much of this we want to leave on the cutting room floor. You want us to use all of it? You you want to? I mean, he runs into these people like several times. <laughs> like, there's no way. There's even a shot where you can see the film crew in the <laughs> reflection of the window. <laughs> I noticed that when I was watching. I was like, "That's the film crew." <laughs> uh, yeah. There's only so much you can do with making Batman the focus in a shot. <laughs> yeah. So. But yeah, this is. I love how much of a time capsule this movie is. But also its ability to kind of stand on its own and also become so beloved that 
I mean, any movie that can still make memes in the current day, <laughs> I mean, that's a win for me. There's a little bit of pop culture relevance here. A little bit. Uh, even though it's, you know, 54 years old. So that's always impressive. <laughs> when you can stay relevant that long, that's always a win. So on that note, I think we'll go ahead and wrap up this episode of Comic Movie Master List from Hit the Books Podcast. Number one. I, <laughs> I can't believe it's number one. <laughs> but we've only reviewed two. So yes. again, if you haven't watched it, go check out Superman and the Mole Men on episode one of Comic Movie Master List. And then obviously, if you want to, rewatch this episode. Yeah. Give it a like, a share, subscribe, hit the bell for notifications. All that stuff really helps us out. You can watch it on YouTube. You can listen on Stitcher, iTunes, Podbean, uh, Spotify. We're on all of the major streaming services. Not on SoundCloud. Sorry, I'm not going to do it. Um, so feel free to check us out on any of those. Of course, we have a Patreon, patreon.com forward slash hit the books. We know uh, money is really tight right now. We have no expectation for anybody to uh, submit money to help us keep the show running. But if you would, we have grown significantly uh, and with our sets, with our mic quality, with our editing quality. Everything has been able to be sustained thanks to generous donations, both past and present, which are very much appreciated. Once again, thank you to Heather Reap for being a current executive producer of the show. So you do get that shout out as uh, required by the Patreon tier that you subscribe to. So thank you very much. We love you. Thanks for your support. And, of course, thanks for all the support from former uh, subscribers to our Patreon. Feel free to subscribe on there and help us out if you are able. Of course, it's a time of crisis. Do not put yourself out or inconvenience yourself or your family uh, because you want to support us. Uh, we know it's very important to uh, stay sane, stay healthy, and uh, obviously be financially responsible during a time of crisis but if you are able and willing we would very much appreciate it if you can help us keep the show going and give us a little bit of support if not giving us a thumbs up or a subscribe really really helps us out even more so please do so if you haven't already also but, tell your friends <laughs> please do if you have any fellow comic book nerds and friends and family that you think would have a good time watching the show, whether it's the podcast, whether it's the comic movie master list, whether it's the hit the mats uh, channel for wrestling, which may or may not be making a return in the near future. We'll see. It's going to have a whole new organization if it does. Um, and then obviously we have several instructional videos and plenty more content coming. So be sure to check that out. If you so choose, it is on there for you free of charge. Please enjoy it. We put a lot of work into it, and we'd love for you to enjoy it with us. Um, and, of course, check out uh, every week's episode of Hit the Books Podcast, which premieres usually on Wednesday or Thursday, if we're able. Sometimes time crunches happen, like during the coronavirus, but uh, usually we get it out there within a decent amount of time. So, I think that is everything, old chum. Now... I think it's time that we leave these men to their work and leave discreetly through the window. I'm just going to going to take a second to open it. Oh, almost there. Make sure to double knot. Don't wanna don't wanna fall all the way down. Right, old chum.
Secure the bat rope. It's going to be a while before we get down, isn't it? I also like how when they <laughs> climb on a single rope, it's always nut to butt. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, we bid you adieu. Thank you for watching and listening. We really love and appreciate you. See you next time on Hit the Books Podcast and Comic Movie Masterlist. Oh, before we go, real quick. Oh. The next movie, I know I mentioned it earlier, just to remind you, is Tales from the Crypt, circa 1972, based on the EC Comics title of the same name. Tales from the Crypt, check it out. It's coming. Tell your friends. Very soon. Very soon, old chum. Till next time. Not to bite. Batman! <laughs> 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 <laughs>